just like that. Second hour is here. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow across the Outkick Network rolls on. Glad you're with us. Join Chad in the chat right now on YouTube to search out Outkick. Chat's good today. Chat's very lively. Love it. Love to see a good chat. Hunter. That's right. We love to see it. We'll have one with Clay Travis coming up in about 20 minutes, and we kick off hour two with Senator Tommy Tuberville, who joins the show yet again. Coach, good to see you. Hope things are well. Thank you. Hey, I've never had Yeehaw beer. I oh, mean, wait, I, it's you're, got you. you're missing out. It's it's good. Oh, really? Old Smoky okay. Moonshine here too. They 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 have it all. It's all great. Oh, okay, good. I've never heard of it. That's good. I I'm, I know you guys have tasted it. I'm sure you have. Oh, uh, you go with uh, what do you go with the Pilsner Lager? What's your go-to? No, you know I'm I'm not a big beer drinker other than when I'm playing golf or fishing or yeah whatever. But uh, uh, just a cold you know, beer. I, yeah, just cold. Anything <laughs> cold. Uh, I, I don't know all the beers either. I, I like them cold too, Coach. That's that's always my rule. Just give, give it to me cold, whatever you have, and they they've got all that here at Yeehaw. Um, describe the setting. Where where were you when you saw the finish to the Iron Bowl? I was sitting on about the 15, 20 yard line uh, in the stands uh, and watching it. And uh, of course, anything can happen in that game. I've, I've coached <laughs> anything can happen, and I was proud of uh, of the atmosphere. Number one, it's second to none all over the country of of what happens in that game, whether it's Alabama or whether it's Auburn. And then, of course, uh, at halftime, I'm thinking, hey, you know, Auburn's holding holding in there, and uh, uh, then starting the fourth quarter, uh, Auburn's ahead. I'm going, uh-oh, it's going to be one of those finishes one way or another. And sure enough, it was. Auburn made two bad mistakes at the end. You can't make mistakes like they made uh, against a, a well-coached, very talented team in Alabama. You can't fumble a punt, and you can't give up a 40-yard pass. I mean, you just can't do it. And and uh, fortunately for Nick and his team, they, they made the perfect play at the end and uh, took advantage of a mistake. I'm not asking you to second guess here, coach, but I, I would be curious though, just the coaching perspective. What are you thinking about doing in that moment? Are, are you heating up the quarterback? Are you dropping eight in coverage in that? What is the key coaching point on that play? Obviously you don't want to end up in a situation where you've got one defender face guarding the receiver and that defender's not seeing the football when you've got fourth and 31. Yeah, you got to have two options. We always worked on it on Thursday. You always worked on those special things, uh, prevent prevent defense and all that. But uh, if you if you're going to rush two, then you got to put at least eight in the end zone. Put four on the back of the end zone, and four on the goal line, and have your deepest guys work forward. You never work back in a play like that. If you work back, then you got an opportunity to get run by, which happened. Now I'm not second guessing, but uh, that's one option. And the other option is is he's not going to have time to throw it. Uh, we're going to play man coverage, and he's going to throw it off his back foot. And uh, yeah, you you you've got to have different uh, two different versions of what you want to do with a choice. But again, it's got to, it takes a perfect play. We always ended up practice, and I'm sure Nick and even Hugh Freeze. Uh, sometime during the week, you put a trash can on the back corner of each end zone, and your quarterbacks uh, throw from the 25, 30, 40 yard line, try to throw in that trash can. It's just an actually test. And again, that ball would have gone into the trash can and very seldom have I've seen one going. It was a perfect throw. And a great toe tap uh, drag there, there as well. Senator Tommy Tupperville, our guest. Uh, coach, so final year of the 14 playoff. Chad's rooting for chalk. He wants the unbeatens, the four unbeatens in. 
I want to see chaos just because I want to see what the committee will do uh, because I'm not buying into the fact that if Bama beats Georgia, that we're not going to have an SEC team represented. What do you make of that when uh, it seems like that's the push? If Georgia loses, they'd fall all the way out or Bama couldn't go all the way up into the four. I don't see that happening. There's no way they leave out the SEC champ, is there? No, uh, I don't think you can. Uh, I think especially if with, with a one-loss team, either Georgia or Alabama, it just depends on how the game goes. If it's a you know, 12, 14-point game, Alabama wins, obviously Alabama moves in, Georgia moves out. And if it's a real, real close game, uh, you probably have to leave Georgia in. Uh, and that's just the way it works. Uh, you know, because they were ranked number one uh, most of the year. But you got that scenario with several other teams. Michigan obviously playing a an Iowa team. And I don't know what they're going to do with Florida State with a quarterback that's out, uh, you know. And what would you, you gotta, do? What would you do in the well, run? You got to give it to the kids. They made it all the way through yeah. uh, 12 and 0. They are playing Louisville, who had a terrible loss last week to Kentucky. Uh, and as Mark Stoop says, you know, Louisville found out that they don't they don't play an SEC schedule. But I think Florida State's <laughs> pretty good. But it's uh, it, it's going to be interesting what they do with Florida State because it's going to be tough for them to beat a, a top ranked team without that great quarterback they had. And again, this kid might step up and and do real well, but it's going to be very very hard. Coach, when you look around and see some of the buyouts, you know Jimbo Fisher at, at Texas A and M, I, I fear at times that maybe the motivation ultimately starts to wane a little bit with certain coaches, depending on how that coach is made up and all of that. But when you start to look at what agents were able to win for the coach in terms of a buyout, that when the fallback is, well, you could just pay me millions and millions of dollars and I'm set for life and my grandkids are set for life to not coach. So, you know, what's what's the point? Do you fear that at all from the coaching side of this when you see some of these buyouts? Yeah, well, first of all, you got to blame most of this on the athletic directors who really most of them are doing nothing but trying to win the press conference. And and they don't really know about a coach. That's the reason I've always said, hey, coaches make a lot better athletic directors if you get somebody to run the business side of it for them because they understand more of the being able to motivate a coach. Once you hire them, a lot of these ADs now that have never done anything other than so-called work their way up to an athletic department, uh, they don't know anything about handling a coach once they've hired him. Uh, you don't just hire a coach and get out of his way and four years later come by and say, oh, by the way, I'm going to let you go. Uh, you you got to be able to work with a coach and help them out and understand what they're going through. And uh, that's what a lot of this stuff goes on now. They they just hire them, get out of their way, and they make it or, or don't make it. So, But I tell you what, you're going to have to do something about, about the salaries now because this NIL is taking money from – all the other sports. And, you know, these agents have done a great job. You know, I was Jimmy Sexton's first college football coach back in 1994 when I went to Ole Miss. And uh, Jimmy, I had Bill Parcells in, in the NFL, and he called me and asked me if he could work with me with my contract at Ole Miss. Jimmy lived in Memphis. I didn't know Jimmy, but he worked with my con contract ever since, you know, that first year. And then he started getting more and more. But Jimmy, uh, he knows the business. Uh, and a lot of the agents know the business and, and you can blame a lot of this on the, on the agents, but the agents aren't the problem. They're doing their job. It's the, it's the athletic directors, but it's a, you know, I hate to see a lot of this go on because we are going, going to start losing Olympic sports and title nine sports because of the uh, ability to not have the money to pay 
And a lot of that's going to have to come from salaries from coaches. You got a lot of these coaches now that I just saw where one assistant coach got a $1.6, $1.7 billion contract, an assistant coach. Not going to be able to, uh, to, to function in the near future with all that when, when uh, some of these uh, uh, Title IX uh, teams are not going to be able to pay their bills. The media is a lot different now than when you were coaching in, in a lot of facets. Um, and it's a lot bigger now. It was smaller then. But I'm curious your thoughts on the, the problem with media sometimes carrying water for agents in order to get coaches raises somewhere because we know there are reporters that will do the bidding of the agent to float it out there that this school is interested in this coach just to get him a raise and a bigger buyout at his current job maybe it's a broader problem with media also coach but do you see some of that in sports today oh i think media is on the side of a lot of the agents i think there's money changes hands because of the propaganda that's pushed from some of the media institutions uh, and the smaller media, not the larger media, but it's, uh, you know, that's, it goes hand in hand. Uh, again, it's all about marketing. It's all about getting the right person, pushing the right person. Uh, a lot of times uh, agents will start pushing names out for jobs, knowing that they're not going to, number one, might not take it even, even if it was offered, but just push their name out there to get their name marketing in, in the media. That's That's always happened, especially since we started agents back 30 years ago. So I don't see any... It's really not anything wrong with it other than the fact that people have to see through it. And I go back to my original statement, athletic directors have to be able to read and see through all that. They get sold a bill of goods on a lot of these guys that don't fit. They might be good coaches, but they don't fit the school or the conference that they're going to. And that's the biggest thing The you know, that you can find a lot of coaches um, out there. There's a lot of good coaches, older, younger, but fitting into certain situations is what you've got to figure out as an athletic director and a board of trustees. And, and a lot of times, uh, and I, even I've seen in the last five or six years, I wonder what in the heck were they doing hiring this guy? Good coach, but he's not going to fit. And sure enough, a few years later, out. Uh, it's just just the way it is. Earlier this year, uh, Senator Tommy Tupperville with us, you, you had your Protection of, of Women and Girls in Sports Act. Um, and... We've seen the story in, in Florida, and we've got the story at Outkick.com, of you have the, the ban on transgender athletes, but yet some people in authority are allowing that to happen. How do we keep this from happening if it's, it's something that is not supposed to be going on state to state? You're saying uh, playing in uh, transgenders playing in women's sports. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. I, 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 don't, I, don't even, I can't believe we're even having to talk about this. Uh, but I deal with uh, stupidity up here in Washington, D.C. daily. Uh, trust me. It is, uh, uh, there's zero common sense. I'm dealing with a lot of people that are very, very smart, but sometimes they have no common sense in terms of the real life. But uh, biological boys uh, or, and men playing in women's sports is asinine, to be honest with you. Uh, it should never happen. It's not fair. It's wrong. And it's really not safe in a lot of areas. So, uh, we're going to fight this every day. I've got the Women and Protect Women and Girls in Sports Act. I've got over 30 sponsors now from other senators. And, I mean, it is uh, from day one. Uh, uh, I think the first week I was here, uh, I had a bill on the floor. And I actually had two uh, ladies vote against me that I thought would vote for me, sent other senators. And I got beat by one vote about banning this uh from even happening and i said don't you have a daughter 
do you have granddaughters? Are, are you serious? You Well, we got to give everybody an opportunity. Wait a minute. Yeah, you got an opportunity. Go play in the side that you're supposed to play. And that's what this is all about. But it's it's frustrating, guys. It really is frustrating to, to put up with some of the things you put up here because it all starts and ends up here. Yeah. And we, we work very hard to try to make it even and, and fair for everybody. Well, and, and Chad and I have, have long stated on this show, you could just take what we've said and just put it on a loop anytime one of these stories comes in. We don't, it, it, in common conversation, I think by and large, what you're saying, you have the support um, and you know, biological males or males, biological females, females. And we, I don't get a lot of pushback whenever I say that uh, and whenever we see people in the chat here. But it, is this coming down to like donations? Is, it a, is, well, someone, is, it, is someone, is a sponsor, is, a, is, a, uh, is there a company for lawmakers that is donating to a campaign eventually and they're trying to appease that. Yeah, you don't hear people really fighting hard on the other side of this, right? Yeah. Senator, I, I, there's people who are silent on it who maybe don't want to talk about it or say it's not a big deal or not a big issue, but are you seeing more bipartisan support for what you're talking about? Well, I know the Democrats on the other side, they vote, you know, lock stock with every time on anything. I mean, they never deviate. And the reason they do that is because they're afraid they lose a vote. It's all about getting reelected up here. If everybody did what was right and didn't worry about getting reelected, just go out there, hey, vote for the people in your state. What an idea, right? That's what, why you're up here. Vote for and represent the people in your state and quit worrying about, uh, you know, social justice ideas or things out there that are that are being pushed by certain groups. Just, hey, you're up here to use your brain, use common sense, and vote for America. Vote for the, vote for the kids. Uh, do what's right for, for, for everybody. Uh, but up here, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's an attack on the nuclear family. It's an attack on gender. Uh, it's an attack on every – you, you name it, it's, there's an attack on it. If it has anything to do with America for the last 250 years, almost 250, 247, anything to do with old America, hey, let's do away with it. And – and make a change and do something else. Guys, we've lived pretty good for 247 years. We're not going to make it many more years if we keep going down this path with all these radical activists up here and all over the country. I, it's just mind-boggling to me what I see up here daily Yeah, and some of the decisions people make towards life in the best, uh, most productive country ever. Yeah, and, and to back that up, we, we have great stories and headlines that are overshadowed by headlines like this with, with, with the anti-common sense approach case in point is the Utah state quarterback Levi Williams who's leaving college football to become a Navy SEAL I mean that that is headline worthy in today's age and what we should be focusing on it's unbelievable I mean it, what a story uh, you know we, we got a military right now it's being attacked by all the woke and activist people across the country all the DEI they want to teach to our military and they're, they're tearing down responsibility and and uh, uh, doing things that you're supposed to do to work as a team because because military is team. It is nothing. It is nothing different than football. Discipline, hard work, effort, and work together as a team because there's no second place now in war. I mean, it's only a first place, and we're on the verge of World War III. We're on the, on the verge of three different wars across the world. But a kid like this that has the opportunity to come back and play another year of college football to say, listen, I'm gonna go. I'm going to go out and represent my country. I want to work with my country. I want to do best. I want to get in the military. Let me tell you, to be a Navy SEAL, uh, <laughs> he, yeah. he's 
find out, find out it. I've seen these guys train. It is unbelievable, but you know, he knows what it's about. He understands it. And what's given him a leg up is he's been through college football and every fan out there that's never participated in college football. They really don't know what you have to do to sacrifice to be a college football player, the time, the effort, the dedication of two full-time jobs of athletics and academics at the same time. Uh, I take my hat off to Levi Williams, you know, for somebody to make that commitment say, I'm going to represent my country. God bless him. No doubt. Uh, we echo that sentiment. Coach, great to see you as always. Thanks for the chat. Let's catch up soon. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Tommy Tuberville has been our guest. Clay Travis joins us next on Hotline. Our thanks to Senator Tuberville for joining us. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Our leader, founder of Outkick, Clay Travis, joins us weekly at this time. Clay, hope things are well, man. All going great. Appreciate you guys having me on. So, uh, and absolutely, thanks for joining us. So, uh, let's let's go with. I know you believe in don't bet against Nick Saban for championship weekend. Alabama beats Georgia, hypothetically, this weekend. What happens to Georgia? What happens to Bama? And the scenarios can match up to whatever scenario you want ahead of Bama in this. But let's also just put into the fact that Bama is one of the hottest teams in the country based on how they've played and how they progressed. If the college football playoff committee is intending for this version of the uh of the rankings to send a message about what they view uh the current state of college football as looking like then the only real lessons that i think you can draw are dual here one uh that florida state is going to be in the playoffs if florida state wins that is if florida state beats louisville in the acc title game i don't see how you can drop them outside of the top four and also that whoever wins Washington, Oregon, Washington is three, Oregon is five, should be in the college football playoff as well. So those are the two lessons that to me are, are outstanding there uh, directly. The other thing I would say is it seems to me that the college football playoff committee is setting it up potentially so that Georgia could fall from one to five Alabama could leap from eight to four. Um, obviously, the complicating factor right. then is what happens with Texas, given the fact that Texas beat Alabama head to head. So I think all of this, to be fair, is kind of a big mess uh, at this point in time. How much of a factor does ESPN play in this, do you believe, behind the scenes? Uh, I don't know that much. I actually think in terms of behind the scenes voting, uh, what stands out to me and what I think becomes fairly consequential or fairly significant um, is like when you really look at this, and, and I mean really kind of significantly look at it, um, to me this could be a uh, really interesting time because who has Texas's back, meaning they're leaving the Big 12. Does the Big 12 really care whether Texas is in? And how do the SEC representatives on the committee, and I know that they're not technically representatives from the SEC, but um, how do they vote? Because Texas is going to join the SEC next year. So if they had to you know, vote, do they put Alabama above Texas or, or not? 
Um, those to me are maybe the most, uh, the most interesting questions that, uh, that are outstanding um, because I could see vote trading going on. And by the way, this could also end up not being a very difficult call at all, right? Like yeah. Texas could, for instance, get upset by, uh, by Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, Alabama could lose to Georgia. A lot of these expected outcomes could occur. And there's not actually that challenging of a job by the college football playoff committee when all is said and done. You know, we could end up with four undefeated teams and uh, and nobody really on the outside looking in who feels like they have a great case. I mean, that's the way it could go. Uh, or we could end up with a chaotic situation where several different fan bases are queued up to potentially be angry, depending on who are three and four in the final uh, playoff rankings. Chad, I believe the only SEC representative is is Mitch Barnhart in that room. Although R.C. Slocum's also there in the room. Clay, we just yeah, had... Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, we, we just had... Sorry, some, I, mean, I know they're not officially affiliated with conferences, right. but they have backgrounds that would suggest they may be more predisposed uh, to support SEC teams than not, for instance. Clay, we just had Senator Tommy Tuberville on, and we asked him about the end of the Iron Bowl. And uh, he gave a much more detailed response to the coaching part of this than I expected. And he said, if you're Auburn, you're doing one of two things. You have four guys on the back line of the end zone that's looking forward and only moving up and not letting anyone behind them. And then four guys on the goal line that could also move up or move around. There's no scenario where someone's got their back to the play and someone gets behind them the way it happened. Or the other scenario is you make sure he throws off his back foot that you're bringing more guys than they can block, and he's throwing it quick and trying to throw it to the end zone in that way. All of that, and we all know that, right, going into it when we watch that play. How angry should Auburn fans be at Hugh Freeze and the coaching staff for how that game ended? I don't think that angry, honestly, because I, I think you have to look at the totality of the game, and Auburn outcoached, I thought, Alabama for most, most of that game, despite having an inferior collection of players. Um, and if you want to point to one play that you're upset by, I point to two, uh, just inside of the final you know, seven or eight minutes. I mean, Auburn dropped a touchdown pass on second and goal that would have given them a 28-20 to 20 lead uh, you know, good play call, good throw ball was just dropped or quarterback, put it right on the numbers. And then obviously the fumble, right? I mean, if you just fair catch that ball or even just run away from it, um, you get one first down that game's over and worst case scenario, Alabama uses all their timeouts and has to drive the length of the field to get a touchdown against you. Um, but look, uh, to me in that final game, in that final place scenario, I think Tommy Tuberville is right. You either bring more potentially than Alabama can block or at least evenly do it. If you get there and you hit uh, Jalen Milrow, then uh, then that is a uh, super successful play probably because unlikely you can put a lot on it. But if he hits somebody in one-on-one coverage, everybody says, oh my goodness, why did you not drop back and play safe? To me, when I watch that play, um, I want all, I, one, I bet they don't practice it very much, right? So the fourth and 31 scenario probably hasn't happened in the sec for the whole year where somebody has been defending in that scenario and you're not attempting a field goal. Right. I mean, that just doesn't happen. You don't even get fourth and goal from the 31 hardly anywhere in college football all year, because that's a hard scenario to have happen too. Um, but what I would have wanted is all of my defensive backs to be watching Jalen Milrow. 
And what stood out to me was not that the receiver got behind him, but if you watch the defensive back, he's got his back to the play. If he just knows that Jalen Milrow has let go of the ball, the ball has to be in the air for two or three seconds. All of those guys are good enough athletes that they can make a play on the ball if it's in the air for two or three seconds. So uh, instruction-wise, what I would have wanted is you basically have a zone defense and everybody has a particular section of the end zone um, and you're all watching the quarterback. So, uh, you know, I also question why you need to spy somebody on Jalen Milrow. I think they dropped eight, rushed three, but only two of those three rushers actually went after the quarterback. One of them was spying the, the Jalen Milrow. Look, if Jalen Milrow runs the ball 31 yards, really more like 40, um, when you consider that he's running from behind the line of scrimmage and scores on you on that play, I think you just have to be like, this guy is football Jesus, right? Like if he, yeah. a, if he can pull that off, then, then that's just a, a tip of the hat to him. Uh, but uh, the thing that would have disappointed me was just the DBs not watching the quarterback. To me, this is when you're in zone and you want your quarterbacks watching and reading where Jalen Milrow is going with the ball because I think they could have all, uh, you know, adjusted then because the ball has to be in the air for so long. Like Bobby Petrino returning to Arkansas is the equivalent to what? I don't know that we've ever seen anything like it because he was fired for cause. Yeah. And, uh, and having an affair with a subordinate. It wasn't like he left and then came back. It wasn't like he went to a rival program or anything else. I mean, Arkansas fired him for, uh, you know, lying about his motorcycle incident, whatever it was, and also then subsequently having an affair with a uh, with a with an assistant. Um, and so, uh, this, I mean, look, I, I think Bobby Petrino should ride a motorcycle out onto the field. Oh, yeah. I think it would be phenomenal theater. Uh, but that story, the fact that it happened and the way it all went down was sort of the peak of the, uh, I would say, SEC chaos bubble. So, Clay, A&M fans were outraged about the possibility of hiring one coach at a basketball school that finished 7-5, and five, but then they're thrilled about hiring a different coach at a basketball school that just finished 7-5 and five in Mike Elko. Why the outrage about Mark Stoops with A&M fans compared to the joy now of Mike Elko? Well, I think Mike Elko, one, has been there, um, and they're familiar with him. Two, I would argue it's harder to get to 7-5 and five at Duke than it is to get to 7-5 and five at Kentucky. Um, and I think you also have to look at resumes. Sometimes it's better to be on the upswing as a coach than it is to be a defined known quantity. Um, I think Elko's a way better fit, uh, and I think it's hard to justify paying $76 million for Jimbo Fisher to leave when Jimbo Fisher has a far better resume as a head coach than Mark Stoops does, at least Elko is in the early days of his tenure at Duke. Um, and he has a relationship with A&M going back. So that Elko is a far better fit. I'm not sure that he's going to work out, uh, but I, I can understand. Look, I mean, basically you're firing a coach in Jimbo Fisher who has had similar results, a little bit better typically than Mark Stoops has. Um, and replacing him with somebody who's an inferior in many fans' minds. So I can understand kind of how that happened. 
But I'd love to be uh, in, in the room just to hear the discussion for Petrino. I wonder as well what the discussion behind the scenes is like at Deadspin, uh, where they have the article uh, where they, the little boy is in the quote from the story from uh, – Phillips is the last name of the writer at Deadspin, uh, quote, hates black people and Native Americans, end quote, because he's uh, in a headdress and they, they claim he's in blackface, but he's at a Chiefs, Kansas City Chiefs game. Turns out that according to his mom, uh, the, the boy is Native American. What? <laughs> Uh, are we going to hear from them? At are they all? circling up at all right now at Deadspin headquarters thinking yeah. about a response to this, or is it just the hoping that it all goes uh, they away? Should, they should be, because if I were this kid's parents, I would definitely be exploring filing a lawsuit against Deadspin. I think as a general rule, if you are an adult and you are demanding consequences for a kid, for something that a kid wore, we're talking about an elementary school age kid, you are not the good guy. No. You are the bad guy in that equation. Um, and I say that as a, as a dad of three. Uh, I and think just I'd don't cover really kids, upset. right? Just a journalistic yeah. rule. Like, just don't cover kids, and especially don't claim a kid as a racist in a story. Yeah. yeah. Um, but now, you know, with the, uh, the, the face paint and then on top of it, the, the headdress, if he's Native American, uh, I, I think it just makes it all the more ridiculous. But in general... I don't have a problem with kids dressing up like cowboys and Indians. And I don't have a problem with kids dressing up in whatever costume they want. And again, the analogy that I would draw is I don't understand and I'm going to go, I'm in the lady ballers, the new uh, daily wire movie. So in a few hours, I'm going to be on the red carpet for their movie debut, but I don't understand how we've created a world where a kid dressed up in a Travis Kelsey Jersey with his face painted and wearing a headdress to support what I presume is his favorite team, the Kansas City Chiefs, is somehow unacceptable. But it is acceptable for a grown man to decide that he's a woman and compete in women's championships. Like, I think for most reasonable adults, if you said, hey, which of these two is more ridiculous to you, a kid dressing up to support his favorite team that happens to be the Kansas City Chiefs, painting his face and wearing a headdress, elementary school age kid, Frankly, I think it would be true for an adult, but certainly for a kid or a grown man who says he's now a woman competing to win a women's sports championship. To me, it's the latter, and it's not remotely a difficult choice to make. Uh, and I think the fact that anyone in America would be arguing it's the kid who is the major issue here if you're going to be offended by somebody pretending to be something that they're not. Uh, but I think it's just emblematic of how broken sports media has become. So Blue Mountain State, was that your on-camera debut? And is this the second, or has there been some in between? I don't know if I've, I mean, you know, we did skits when I did uh, Fox Bet Live, Lock yeah. It In. You know, that was a four-year show. And obviously, I've been on Big Noon and the Fox yeah. pregame college football shows a lot over the years. But in terms, and so the skits, we had, you know, acting bona fides uh, associated with those skits. You know what but I'm asking, though, like a of, movie or like a... a, a yeah. Movie or TV, I I think that's correct. I played myself in Blue Mountain State. This is, but I'm not playing myself in this one. Okay. I'm not a cameo. I'm a women's basketball team coach <laughs> who's coaching against the boys. Yeah, this is legit guys. acting. This yeah. is a legit Girl. acting debut by you. I, I can't wait to see Rate it. Rate your yeah, performance. This is, this is a legit legit acting debut. I have no idea how good. I'm not a very good actor, uh, <laughs> openly. Like I think I would be good 
if there were no script. Yeah. But when you tell me to memorize lines, I'm worried about whether I've memorized the lines correctly or not. If you just told me, hey, you know, we're just going to kind of uh, kind of do a, uh, a, you know, like they do curb your enthusiasm where yes. you give like kind of a rough idea of a sketch and then you just kind of try it out and throw out different lines as a part of it. I think I'd be fine at that uh, because that's basically what you do on, you know, radio. You just talk. Um, and I think I'm pretty good on television at this point. I've done it enough where uh, where I'm good at that. But memorizing lines and acting and all those things uh that uh we'll, we'll see how i do but i'll be on the red carpet here in about uh, about three hours yeah he's also a pro at red carpets uh chad clay clay thanks, thanks so much man time, appreciate man. you all right appreciate y'all thanks yeah man there's clay travis chad coming up time to get weird davy hudson brings the strangest stories of the week straight it's ahead time. hot by with Hudson withrow across the outkick network Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. So, what, what a story in the NHL with Corey Perry and Connor Bedard and uh, the personal relationship alleged uh, with Corey Perry and, his, and Bedard's mother, Melanie. And, yeah, and now Perry's been waived off the roster. Blackhawks having to re- release a statement uh, saying that it was conduct that's unacceptable and in violation of both the team's uh, standard players' contract and the Blackhawks' internal policies intended to promote professional and safe work environments. And so he's cut from the team. So um, I, I don't know the marital status of everyone involved here, or if that's an issue with this, but. It's against the team policy for a player to hook up with a family member of another player. That seems pretty broad. Yeah. Well, so what? Here's here's my guess on this. Okay, Look, okay. If, if true, okay, we can only speculate because nothing's been confirmed. Let's say that um. But they, the GM wouldn't even address it. He's like, I hope you understand yeah. that I can't answer everything. Let's let's say Corey Perry had relations with uh, Connor Bedard's mom. I think the problem that may have occurred here. Is as we see a photo now of Connor Bedard with with said with his mother, said mother, um, pretty lady. Mm-hmm. I think the problem would arise when Corey Perry used that to ridicule the young rookie or other teammates did, and then it became okay. like a locker room joke, right? And you could see where Connor Bedard would be very uncomfortable that you're with that being it. a joke. And then if Connor Bedard goes to the management anyway and says this guy needs to be gone because of this. They're going to side with Connor Bedard on that, right? But just like uh, he violated the what I, there's a rule for that. That, that was my first workplace thought. Well, policy. The 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 phrase they were going with was they brought him in to be a father figure, and he took it a little too far. <laughs> That's a violation. That of, also uh, his could be could be the case. Look, man, I just I feel like you need a strong male presence in your life, and I decided to fill that fill that void. In more ways His, than one. I, I did look it up um, last night. Connor's parents are currently separated. Okay. I don't know if they're technically still married, but... Well, they're separated. I don't yeah. know Corey Perry's situation either. Uh, but again, I, I don't... That also is not illegal. So then if you're violating a workplace thing, I, I just... That's very broad. Like, so you're telling me that, first off, in professional sports, I can guarantee you, um, Tyreek Hill just married Kenny Vaccaro's sister. 
Okay, there's some incestuous relationships that happen with teammates or coaches, family members. Those type of things happen all the time. I never knew that that was like a team policy. Like, oh, you're telling me I can't hit on your mom now? Is that what Corey Perry goes in and says? Like, can you show me that in the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, uh, guidebook? The the company policy well, remember that the, shows that? Remember the D'Angelo Russell, Nick Young feud? Yeah. Well, that was over a girlfriend, though, right? Yeah, but I mean, it's still it, it, the uh, the fiance. Yeah. Look, I, I get like if it gets personal, then they're they're gonna have to pick between one side, and they're gonna pick obviously with the kid whose mom got hooked up with, and the one who's the star of the franchise, the future. So he would be on the out if that's the case. But unless they're citing some sort of because you ridiculed, it's like bullying. If you did that and then talked about it, but and he had told been away the kid from the about team it too, Perry. Yeah. Also, did he? I mean, when did the separation happen? Did Corey Perry cause the separation? No, I think that had been going on for a couple of years. I just well, uh, the if funny, we're going to discuss so, that. Imagine how much of that goes on on the road, hotel to hotel. Oh, for sure. I mean, if you're going to point to that as part of the policy. Also, that's not for, what's funny is if you Google Connor Bedard, the autofill is mom. Yeah. Immediately. I noticed that yesterday. It immediately goes to Connor Bedard's mom. And then when you click on the stories, it's a bunch of quotes from Connor Bedard about how he was looking forward to the mom's trip that happened uh-huh. in early November. You know, the Predators here in Nashville, they had the dad's trip. Most teams <laughs> do this. They have a mom's trip with Chicago and they went to South Florida together. They went from Tampa to, uh, to Sunrise for the Florida Panthers. That was the trip. And this all happened in early November, and I'm thinking, man, those are unfortunate is, quotes to come out where he's like, man, I'm just really looking forward to this, you know, having this mom's getaway. This is Corey Perry on saying, this trip. hey, Zach Wilson, yeah. hold my beer. Yeah, Corey Perry, I think, was looking forward to that mom's getaway also, apparently. For those that don't allegedly, know, allegedly, allegedly, yes. Connor Bedard's viewed is pretty much as like the LeBron of hockey, like coming into the league. Oh, yeah. Clear number one, which is kind of ironic because it makes me think of LeBron James and Delonte West in that situation. Yeah. Yep. It, yeah. You're right. It is. Uh, it, he is like a Victor Wimbenyama uh, type phenom of the NHL. Chad, so hey, we'll see what uh, we'll see where Corey Perry lands next. I I, I said uh, ten minutes ago or so that maybe a step Davey down. will bring the strangest stories from across the country. It's really globally. Chances are a lot of these are, you know, insert country here with how he finds the weird stories. It's time to get weird, Davey Hudson. And five, four. Three, two, one, zero, talking now. Guys, this first story is not weird, but it involves a weird individual. And unfortunately for really everyone in the world, Nicolas Cage, it looks like he's going to start making less films. Mm. And, you know, he's kind of had that resurgence, but he's approaching, I, I can't remember if he's just turned 60 or he's approaching 60, but either way, he's decided he's going to start to dial it back a little bit. And, you know, it just got me thinking, what's, what's your favorite Nick Cage film? Favorite Nick Cage film? Um, Gone in 60 uh, Gone in sixty Seconds is good. Yeah. It's good. That is a good one. I like the National Treasure movies. Face Off. Those are good. I- I'll give you one. Um, oh, my goodness. Con Air. I'm going to blank on the name of it. Con Air. The, um, Con Air is good. But the Holiday movie where uh, he, like, gets a second chance, Taylor in it. Oh, family wonderful man. life. Oh, family, family man. man. Yeah, life family man life. is my yeah. favorite Nick Cage. I need to watch that this role. holiday season. Yes. 
It's great. He's a single guy who wakes up and it's his life if he got married to his college sweetheart or high school sweetheart and he suddenly got kids and the whole family life. There's some classic scenes. Then Corey uh, the, Perry joins the we'll, business. We'll talk about during the break. But Family Man, <laughs> Family Man is my favorite okay. Nick Cage movie. I, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but... Uh, <laughs> Corey Perry was his neighbor, actually. Kick He's ass. been married five times. Nick Pickles Cage has? Yeah. Huh. Didn't know that. Uh, Nick Cage Corey also... Corey Perry, hold my beer. Uh, Nick Cage got in a lot of financial problems. I think that he did all those movies for so long, those B movies, to catch up financially. He's probably caught up now. Yeah, he just That's had why to, he stopped it. He had to take the work. He right. really couldn't afford to be selective. And okay. so when you saw in the late 90s, and, early 2000s, he was pretty much in all these big blockbusters, and then obviously Wicker things Man. went south. And why did he not take the last name Coppola? He didn't want to. He didn't want to get the benefit of being Francis Ford Coppola's nephew. Do you know what the first film Nick Cage, uh, Nick Cage appeared in? I do, no. and now I'm going to blank on it. What was it? Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh yeah, very short. Like not. I wouldn't say a cameo, is, but it was just very. Is Nick Cage stranger? Same- Nick Cage or Sean Penn, who were both in that movie? Sean Penn. They're both awfully crazy, but yeah. Is uh is Nick Cage in the same like tier? In, for for filmmaking the same way it would be or acting the same way it would be for like Nickelback or Creed <laughs> for music. Is, no, it, is because, it that level? I mean, Nick Cage is, um, he's thought to be a legitimately really good actor. I mean, he won, it, did he, he won the Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas, right? I think he's an Oscar winner. Uh, I, I know he was at least nominated in that movie, in that film. I Dennis Leary didn't say it. I don't know it, Chad. Yeah, he's just very eccentric. Like to the point that he annoys directors and co-stars because yeah. he does some crazy things on set when he gets into a role. Ryan Albanese is in studio with us today. He he you know has the YouTube channel where he goes on set and goes back to see where movies were filmed. I wonder has he ever Davey, turn around. Give us a hand thumbs, count over thumbs here. Thumbs up or thumbs uh, down. Has Ryan ever uh, gone jet, to a set for Nick Cage's film? Set jetting, as they call it. He's pondering. I don't think he has. No, no, he hasn't. No. Okay, let's remedy that. Yeah, let's get out there. Family Man. Go to the house and Family Man. So I gonna, think that's in New Jersey. He's going to put Wicker Man on his list. Wicker Man. Uh, Hudden, I wa- you'll, you'll appreciate this. I watched Wicker Man in the vacated hotel room that you vacated in Arizona during the Super Bowl when I had a stomach virus. So I was throwing up and watching Wicker Man for the first time on HBO in that terrible hotel room that our old radio it. station put in. Yeah. That I told you one of our, our, our other the hostel. Our other colleagues that were there had it was sick earlier in the week. I started to get sick early in the morning. I said, Hutton, get out of here before you get this. And I remember the middle of the day watching Wicker Man for the first time in that hotel room. This would have been probably two thousand seven. Yeah. And there was a drug deal early, on the other early side. Early two thousand eight. Early two thousand eight. Yeah. yeah. Guys, I don't know of any classes that are offered to study the works of Nick Cage, but Harvard's unveiling a new class that will examine the life of Taylor Swift. Um, uh, so Vanderbilt, as an example, okay, this is what I hear from my Vanderbilt people, that, oh, at Vanderbilt, we don't have stupid majors like uh, sport management, you know, is what I, I majored in, right? Sport management and business. We have to major in actual things at Vanderbilt, uh, and unlike other SEC schools. So it's tough to get athletes in because you got to pick an actual, you know, major there. Are they trying to get her to be a commencement I'm speaker? not saying it's a major, but, like, that's a pretty crazy yeah. uh, class to have for Harvard. The, the course Harvard is higher up than Vanderbilt, and they have that course. Taylor Swift and her world, and they will dive into 
her relationships because her relationships a lot of times ex- or they'll get in, the, the lyrics so, behind them will go into that. I so I don't think it's a crazy course if they're going to cover it from this angle. She's the only artist on the planet that can pull off what she's pulling off. Stadium shows, back to back to back nights, three hours up the road, do it again, three straight nights, do it again, and then do it globally and selling out every night. So if it's from that angle and how she became... She's earned a billion dollars too. She's a a billionaire, a self-made billionaire. But it's about her relationship status and how... I mean, I I can tell you that she can't... She's not possibly. She doesn't allow herself to be happy because she needs to write another song. Yeah, I can understand like a psychology professor getting into her relationships to illustrate a point in yeah. a class and having a psychology class around. I don't understand. She just hasn't met Dave. A yet. Taylor Swift class. They're, they had history of rock and roll at Tennessee. I took that class. Couldn't major in it, but that's as closest to Taylor Swift history yeah. that I would have ever gotten into. But that was an amazing course, and it went through the origins of it, everything, and it was in a big lecture hall. And it was great, but for, it was just an elective you could take. For me, they were offering, it might have been like one or two years uh, before I got there when they started doing this, but you could take one-hour credit courses and it would just be something that's more relatable and just, it, it would be like an easy A. For example, I just sat and watched a class, in our class, all we did was watch episodes of The West Wing. And then we would just like write reports on West Wing and then like tying it back into what was the class? Out. Was that the name of the class? A West Wing class? No, it was I can't is, even remember. Is, the is name it of like it. independent studies? Yeah, yeah. And you can get a one hour credit but for see, just this, doing anything? This is the problem now. We have how many people that are in debt for college debt and now you can get on OnlyFans and show your left pinky toe and make more than the, I, the I college can't even, graduate who had to go watch the West Wing and, and pay for that. What's crazy is the way our economy is working now. I can't even tell like kids you must go to college. Like, I don't know that college is the right way to go in terms of debt and what the world needs right now yeah. and how you could make money. Uh, where when we grew up, that was just it, right? Like, you're going to graduate high school I mean, and you're going to go to college. For a lot of people, that was like the goal. Now, I don't know that that should be the goal for well, everyone. College graduates are now calling on those that did not go to college to do jobs around the house and paying them a lot of money for it. Yeah. You know? Or to drive them from place to place. A lot or, of college grads are, you know, yeah, not there's anything Super, wrong with it, but driving no, Uber right now, no, or driving stuff, Lyft, or it, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a it's a sad state. Um, and and I mean, by and large, the, the the craft of being able to have a trade and that be your passion and your skill, you're set, you're needed more than you know the office manager. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't mind because that one hour credit was solely for freshmen, and it was just simply you would also you would do these things like that, but you would also just talk with your professors. You're acclimating to college. It was more of just I, I think a yeah. way in which they they would try to help you out there. My professor's name was David Hudson, so that was also an, another thing. Wow. It was with with a T instead of a D. So I, I need I need more info next time you join us, Davy, about this class. I want to know the name of it. If yeah. it's just like an independent elective class that you get an hour for and you do whatever you want. This I'll, is like I'll the professor up. is like, hey, give yourself a grade on how you think you did. We're going to have you take this course again. And then give yourself the grade. Go ahead and hop in line for the next Creed Cruise as well while you're at it. And Nickelback. Coming to Nashville. Cynthia Freeland. Coming on the show next.